Hello, greeting. Oh, I dropped my pencil. I dropped my pencil. Welcome back to Friday Live. We are without Tim again today. He is taking care of some family and taking care of some, helping some folks out. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm getting set up. We're running a little, I'm running a little bit behind today. Actually had to work for a living. Good to have you on the show. Um, it feels so weird saying that. Welcome to the big show. Um, we're going to jump in pretty quick today to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, pick up our conversation. We're not going to be a long podcast today. Um, do want to remind you, if you happen to be watching, um, about the March Madness Bible giveaway for Church Under the Bridge in Tyler. We've been sharing it on our social media. Um, and uh, if you wanted to help out with that, go to thecrucibusfire.org forward slash donate and pick the March Madness campaign. There's a drop down there. You can do that and help us. We're trying to get 500, um, just, uh, they call them outreach Bibles, um, for them to, to use on their, uh, on their, in their ministry. They're at the church under the bridge, Sarah on Gentry and Tyler. And so if you can help with that, that'd be great. We would appreciate it. Um, where we left off last week, just jump right in, I suppose. Uh, we've been talking about, if you're familiar at all with anything that, that happens in in First Corinthians and and with Paul, he he writes First Corinthians is kind of a blistering letter that he writes to the church at Corinth, and trying to set some stuff straight that um, they were a new church, they didn't know what they were doing. I mean, they were just they were doing their best. God love them, but uh, they had some stuff that was going wonky. They were had some some messed up worship practices, um, abuse of some of the spiritual gifts, um, things like that. And so he writes this letter. To correct some of these behaviors, and, and the last couple of weeks we've talked about chapter 2. I know I did one, I think Tim and I did one together, and uh, we talked about chapter 2, and he's talking about how they're now spiritual people, you know, and there's truths that he's talking about, there's mysteries and things like that that, are, that can only be um, understood from the, from the Spirit, and that they, the reason that they're in trouble, and we're going to talk about this today, the reason that they're having problems in the, in the church with their worship is they're, they've got a worldly mindset, and they're trying to do things the way the world does it instead of the way that God would do it. Um, and so we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm not going to go down like literally verse for verse, but there's some things in the first part to get to the last part that we want to, I want to touch on. Um, and he starts out chapter 3 with, for my part, brothers, he says, and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh and as babies in Christ. Again, kind of the recurring theme is what does it look like? I even put this on Facebook earlier this morning. It's like, what does it look like when church people act like children? And and that's that's kind of the theme of what he's looking at. Um, hey, Heather, nice. thanks for joining us. Um, by the way, if you are watching out there with us, uh, please comment. Let us know you're out there. We'd love to see who's out there watching. But... Uh, the whole thing in in First Corinthians, he's he's kind of made this case in chapter two. He's beginning in chapter three to to kind of wrap that part up. He's like, look, I got some stuff I want to tell you, but I can't tell you like I want to tell you because I I need to talk to uh, some mature people. He goes, but you're babies. You're acting like children. He says in verse two, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready, and uh, I, I guess part of it is we have this thing in, in quote-unquote evangelical Christianity that drives me batty. 
And, and it's that, you know, we have this focus on conversion, which is great. I want lost people to get saved. I mean, that's like why we're here, right? But then we just kind of, that's the goal. But if you look in the scriptures, you look in, well, here, you go over into Second Peter, uh, even First Peter, Peter will talk to us about, you know, you got to add to your faith knowledge, and, and you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you have this idea that once we're saved, we're supposed to be maturing. I mean, we're not just supposed to get saved and be like, oh, that's it. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just call it good. Um, the idea is that we're supposed to be growing. Um, John will tell us that the Spirit leads us into all truth. And we have the Word of God. We have fellowship. We have pastors and teachers. Ephesians 4 will tell us that God gave us pastors, teachers, and apostles, and prophets to build us up and to make us into the fullness of Christ, to make us mature believers. Well, the problem with the church at Corinth was they were just immature. He says, and I like the way he says it. He's like, I gave you milk. I started you off simple because you couldn't handle the meat. And in fact, he says, you're still not ready. Uh, the writer of Hebrews would, would um, uh, chastise. That's the word I'm looking for. Would chastise you know, the Hebrew believers. He's like, hey, you guys ought to be teachers of the law at this point. And yet I've got to start over with you with the ABCs, basically. We've got to go back to the first fruits and the, the, the elementary things. He even says, let us leave the elemental things at one point. But that's the kind of the context of what, what Paul's doing here. He says in verse 3, because you're still worldly, for since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? This is the Christian Standard Version. And uh, he's, he's just saying, again, you're kind of acting like kids. And what he's going to get into here in just a minute is what the problem is, at least at this stage. Now, he's going to get into talking about the abuse of the spiritual gifts, and he's going to talk about um, some different things uh, that, that they're doing. Um, but he, he jumps in and he says, look, look at, well, let's see in verse 5, he says, what then is Apollos? Well, I guess I got to go to four. For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, another I belong to Apollos, you are not, are you not acting like mere humans? Uh, I want to interject there he, because he had just got through saying in chapter two, listen, you got to stop thinking like human logic. You got to stop thinking in terms of earthly human ways of doing things. We are a spiritual people. God's economy, God's not, not financial economy, but the way that God deals with people and the world and the things, it's upside down and it's different. He said, we're supposed to be thinking differently than the world does, like loving your enemies and doing good to them and those sorts of things. And he says, he's like, hey guys in Corinth, you're still thinking in a worldly way. You need to jump back and, and remember what I just got through writing to you in the last, well, they didn't have chapters, but the last paragraphs, you've got to be thinking spiritually. And he's like, are you not acting like humans? You're doing human thinking again because you're saying, hey, I like Paul. And the other one's like, I like Apollos. Do we not see that all the time in our churches, uh, in our schools? You know, we don't like this church because of this guy. We don't like that denomination because of this thing. And that's what was happening in this, in this particular church. They had divided and, and, I'm doing a study right now. I'm gonna. I'll bring it to you guys one of these days. But um, uh, on on division in the church, that's actually beneficial. Um, even though we know that the scriptures in John 17 teaches us to bring to unity in the faith and unity of the spirit, and the the Bible talks about the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. 
Um, but just because something is unified doesn't mean that there is unity. I heard an analogy from someone else the other day. It says if you tie two chickens together and put them over a fence, they may be unified, but they're not in unity. They're going to fight together. And uh, that I thought that was helpful for East Texas, chicken fights. But in this one, that's the problem. Is is they're not they're not. It's not even that they're getting along. It's the problem is is that they're building factions and alliances along lines that they shouldn't. And he what he's going to do here in this passage is is show the absurdity of the the teams that they're choosing. You know, everybody's got a team. Somebody if there's competition, I know in our community competition is like. It is, it is the golden calf that we worship at. I'm sorry, probably offensive, but it is. And, and you know, we've got to be the best, and everybody's got to get beat, and we've got to crush everybody. Um, and, and, and frankly, it's to our detriment a lot of times. But that's the spirit and the soup that we live in. It's the air that we breathe in America, much less East Texas, um, and much less in, in Martin's Mill. But that's just who we are. That's what's happening in Corinth. Let's leave what he says in verse 5. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. That's an important statement to remember in this. We have this culture that you know talks about everybody's the same, and I'm going to be careful here, but as the parent of what we, we have, what is called a transracial family. What that means is, is there's more than two. If there was just two races in our family, it would be biracial. We are a transracial. We have, uh, we have white folks. We've got a black son and two Hispanic sons. And so, which we get funny looks when we all go out. But we've had people say, I've probably said it somewhere down the road, and if it's on video, somebody will pull it up, you know, that, hey, we don't see color Everybody's all the same. And, and I push back on that. And I tell people, no, we, we do. We see differences. And then we celebrate those differences. We don't see differences and then pull them apart. I've got two really good friends, uh, Pastor uh, Trey Tuck. It's his birthday today. Trey, if you see this, happy birthday. And Willie Collins, um, they're two black pastors, good friends of mine. And we've talked about this before. You know, that people like to say, well, I, I don't see color. All of, everything is the same. But that's not the way that the Lord would even build the church. Um, we are different. Everybody has different gifts, different talents, different spiritual gifts brought together with our differences to build the body, to do what God has called us to do within the body. And then, But, but the problem we have is, is we like to discriminate on our differences instead of celebrate our differences. Differences is not the problem. The problem is, is how we mark, how we value, and how we proceed in those differences. Because look what he says in that last phrase. He says, each has the role that the Lord has given. Then he tells what those roles are. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. He's simply saying, it's silly for you, church at Corinth, to draw the lines on the uh, Apollos and Paul, you know, team Paul and team Apollos. He said, because we're on the same team. We just had different roles. The, Paul, would, let's say he was the church planter. Apollos came in and developed and would water, he calls it, and would, would continue to maybe to, we would call it pastoring and growing the, the, the church, growing the believers deeper. It's a different role. Um, and it's not that one's better, one's worse. He's like, hey, we're on the same team, and it's just different. He says in verse 7, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. 
he's really good at, uh, at saying, look, guys, it's silly for y'all to say I'm on Team Paul or Team Apollos because we're nothing. We're not even important. What's important is that God's growing people. He said, we need to give all the glory to the Lord, not to us. Quit acting like children and drawing up teams on the, the playground. Because that's kind of the feel that we get of what's happening here. Is that, you know, my daddy can beat up your daddy. My preacher's better than your preacher. That's kind of the feel of what's happening here. And, uh, and he's, he's really just saying, look, guys, cut it out. He says in verse 8, now, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're united, it's like we've been saying. And each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. He even draws another distinction. He's like, hey, me and Apollos, I mean, we're on the same team, but we have different roles, and we're nothing compared to the Lord. We're, we're not important. He says, but you... He's like, stop looking at us. Don't worry about Paul. Don't worry about Apollos. He said, look what God's doing for you. He said, you are God's field. You are God's building. Over in the, in, in the Gospels, when we talk about the parable of the sower, and we've talked about this before. We do one in one of our leadership trainings we do over the parable of the sower. And um, uh, anytime you hear that passage taught, you, you'll think about this almost every time it's the whole focus is on we'll talk about the sower oh this is you know that's the gospel being spread and then we ju we jump right into the grounds what kind of ground are you good soil rocky soil pathway soil whatever and you know make sure you're the right kind of ground but nobody ever talks about the fact that the sower of the gospel the lord out there planting those seeds us as we sow the seeds of the gospel the sower is keenly unconcerned in that passage of Scripture with where the seed's going. He's just doing his job sowing. That's kind of what Paul is doing. He's just like, hey, that's my role. And then Apollos comes in, waters that seed, and begins to cultivate it. And that he finds on good ground, it begins to grow, and he tends to that that's on the rocky. But we don't have to freak out that when we're sharing the gospel, we're telling about the Lord, that it doesn't all land on good ground. It's all right. You let the Lord deal with that because what does this say? Because God's the one giving the increase. Another way to say it would be Paul's like, hey, I was being faithful to what God called me to do. I was planting seeds, starting this church. Apollos came in. He was faithful to what God called him to do, but God didn't need either one of them. He could have accomplished this with somebody else. Um, and had he done that, they would have been equally as insignificant in comparison to the fact that God was the one that was growing up the church. And that's exactly what he says. He says, look, you're the field. You're the building that God's building. He said, don't, don't worry about us. Stop acting like children. According to verse, in verse 10, he says, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. Now, that's important, too. Paul says, hey, I'm a master builder, and I laid the foundation, and I laid it right. I got the corners square, everything's level and plumb, but I was just there to do the foundation. Somebody else comes in. It's just like if you've ever built a house. There's one crew that comes in and puts in the foundation, and another crew will come in and put in the framing and the sheetrock and all that stuff. There's, all, there's different crews that do it. But he says, but be careful how you build it. Because you can come in, it happened in our house when we built it. Uh, well, the first thing that was happening, they, when they laid the, the foundation, 
they miscalculated the foundation. It wasn't discovered until the concrete was dry, everything was done, and there were several significant mistakes in the foundation that resulted in mistakes in the, in the framing, which now has resulted in mistakes in even the way that we have traffic flow and things because they messed up the foundation. And, and Paul says, I laid the foundation as a master builder. Somebody else is going to build on it. That's Apollos. But you got to be careful how you build on it. Even in one of our places, I was looking through and they framed our house and I'm walking through after the crews had left, just as, as was my, my way. And I realized that they had inadvertently framed in the hallway that led to like the back bedrooms and, and two bathrooms and two bedrooms had we not caught it and the sheetrockers were on their way uh, the next day. Had we not caught it and they just sheetrocked what was there, we would have had one, two, three, four rooms of our house plus two, three closets that would have been completely inaccessible to anybody because they weren't careful in how they built it. And that's what Paul is saying as I'm fixing to, in a couple of chapters, I'm going to rip you a little bit for the way that you're doing worship. And he's saying this, look, I laid a foundation that was true and plumb and square because I am a master builder. And he's not bragging, he's just stating fact. He said, I set this up right, but you got to be careful how you build on it. And then you guys are all fighting over Paul and Apollos and divided amongst who's the best guy and this and this, this and that. And he goes, you got to be careful because you're getting your walls askew. And everything, we're going to set that back in order. He said, I'm going to come in and we're going to fix it by a letter by how it's supposed to be. And he's having trouble with that, he says, because you're immature, you're children, you're acting like children. He's, he's, he's had to plea to them, grow up. I tell my teenage boys all the time. I've told all of my children as they've come up at some point in time, look, it is time to grow up. There is a time where you just need to kind of grab yourself by the scruff of the neck and grow up, make some decisions. Well, I don't want to do this. Well, maturity often is a choice. And that's kind of what we're getting into in this place. And in this particular passage, what's my time? Oh, I got to, I got to hurry. He says in verse 13, for no one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. And if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will be rewarded. He will, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And, you know, what's he trying to say here? He's saying how you do things after the foundation is laid is important. How you conduct your church business, how you conduct your worship, how you conduct your philosophies of ministry, they are important. They're not the be-all, end-all necessarily, but they are important. He says, because trial's going to come. Well, I like the words that he uses in verse 12. If anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, he says, your work will become obvious. Everybody's going to see it. They're going to know what you're doing because before the day will disclose it. In other words, when the trial comes, when the fire comes to it, when the hard times come, you're going to see what you built. We see this in the church all the time. Now remember, the problem that they had, go back to, first, to chapter 2, and the problem they're having now is they were thinking earthly. They were thinking worldly. They were thinking like humans. And, and I know we're humans. I'm not saying we're not. But he says, but your thinking needs to be spiritual. The truths that we are, are enacting here in the church through the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word 
Those things, according to him, are spiritual things. They're mysteries of God. They're not like the world. And he says, but Corinth, you're doing things like the world. We see it in our churches all the time. Somebody will write a book on the next big growth strategy, or here's how we're going to bring this marketing strategy from the world into the church. And this, this verse in these passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 just screamed to me, you know, stop it. Stop trying to market the church like it's some kind of a widget that we're trying to sell on an infomercial. Uh, who cares if everybody thinks that we're you know, hip, slick, and cool? We want to be right by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and by the commission that God's given us. And he says, stop acting like children because children think like the world. He says, grow up and think like the Spirit of God that's in you when you look at these things and stop arguing over who's on what team. I believe that message could be given to us as the body of Christ. Stop arguing over who's on what team and remember what we're trying to do here. Quickly, he says in verse 17, he says, if anyone, uh, or 16, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Remember, he went back and he said, hey, back a little bit, me and Paul, me and Apollos, we're nothing, but you are the building of God. You are the field of God. And he's like, you are the temple of God. You are the thing that God is building. Does that make sense? I hope, I hope that it does. If it, if it doesn't, somebody type in the deal and says, you're not making any sense, and I'll try to clarify. But he's like, look, in verse 17, he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. So I'm, I don't have time to really even get as deep into, I'll have, we'll have to come back, maybe Tim will get to be with me next week, and uh uh, and we'll finish it up because the last, oh, what is it, verse 18 through 23 of 1 Corinthians 3, is he starts talking about, and the pericope says, it's the folly of human wisdom, the silliness of looking at the world through the eyes of human wisdom. That's why we talk about kingdom vision ad nauseum all the time. I'll give you an example real quick and I'll leave. I mean, I just finished up a, a, a theology class for, for college. I'm, I'm working towards my doctorate, and there was this guy in there. I mean, we're talking about a, a graduate-level professor. And they give us this textbook, and in this textbook, they start talking about um, the age of accountability. And, and he's a real proponent of it. I don't, and, and I am not. I am an absolutely, just, that's one of those, those doctrines that drives me up the wall because it doesn't exist. Now, there are a lot of people way smarter than me. They'll argue with me until they're blue in the face. I challenge them to go to Scripture and show me they'll not be able to. But what I can do is take you to Psalm uh, 51 where, and, and some other places that talk about Psalm 139, where we are, we're wicked. Go to Romans 3.10, um, and we are wicked from the beginning. We come out of the womb, and, and, it, and you know the Reformers would call that total depravity. That's fine. But in this class, the class was pushing this idea. And we had to write some, some responses and some papers on the, on the topic. And they made the mistake of asking me, what do you think about this doctrine? Well, they asked me what I thought, so I told them. I don't, still don't know how I made on that tape paper yet. But I told them. And I said, here's my problem. I can't take you to the Scripture for that. Now, human wisdom and human logic will say that makes perfect sense. And I'm right there with you. It makes perfect sense logical sense by what we as humans know. There's only one problem with that. 
I can't make sense of it by the truths that I find in the scriptures. Now, what I believe happens to babies and things like that and, and people like Brenna who do not have the cognitive ability, that's a different discussion. But what I can say is, is it's not because they're in this mystical state of innocence because the scriptures would declare that's not true. Why do I bring that up? The, the, the push for that doctrine. We see it in our Baptist churches. We see it in, in all of our evangelical circles almost everywhere. It's not a biblical doctrine. Uh, and challenge me on it. Change my mind. I'd love to sit down and have coffee with you about it. I just believe it's one of the things that's harmed the church, honestly, because we just haven't been telling the truth about what the Scriptures say and then dealing with the truth at its face and trusting God to deal with that. I know that's a hard truth. Somebody's going to get mad, turn it off, and maybe silence it on, on YouTube. But that's just the way it is. And so my point is, it's real easy to come up with good, logical reasons to explain away things that we find in Scriptures and do it with human wisdom and logic. But that's precisely the problem the church at Corinth had. They were not operating by godly wisdom. They were operating by earthly wisdom, which was the problem, and it caused them great error. So my encouragement to you is, is even if you think you have a good logical framework for something, challenge it. Challenge your earthly framework and let the Word of God and the Spirit of God challenge it with godly wisdom and framework. I'm glad you joined us today. Next time we come back, we'll finish up 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when we really dig into the goofiness of human wisdom versus the peace that comes with godly wisdom. Don't forget about the March Madness Bible uh, giveaway for the Church Under the Bridge. Please head to our, our website, cruciblesfire.org forward slash donate and choose the March Madness Bible giveaway campaign if you can help us raise enough funds. We're trying to get 500 Bibles. Um, we need $1,500. They're about $3 a piece. That gets them landed to our location, and then we'll pick them up and take them to Tyler and distribute those to the ministry there. So if you can help out with that, I really would appreciate it. Join us next week. We'll see you later. Y'all have a good one.